Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, hi there. I'm Ari McGee. And normally I would be welcoming you back to the show, but I'm welcoming myself back to the show. I missed a week. The crew soldiered on without me, had a great time. And honestly, I missed it. I missed it, guys. I'm back. We missed you. And I don't think soldiered on is really the best verb to use. We sort of like tumbleweeded on. (laughs) Or we soldiered on and the battle didn't go as planned. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you can lose the battle, but we're still going to win this A&W war in the long run. So I am joined. Oh, shit. I do not have the supply lines for that. Uh, Go on. Prepare for a siege, my friend. (laughs) Oh, I was going to introduce you two as Mm -hmm. the two best that we have, but Nick's here now. So anyways, we're here with Pippa. Hello. Jim. Hello. And Nick. And Nick. (laughs) And And Nick. Nick. (laughs) Hi. I'm Nick Thacker. I'm Nick. Even though no one can hear me, I'm a ventriloquist. How's right. that? Is that better? Uh, oh, oh, that is better, yeah. Your dulcet right. tones are back in the game, sir. Well, all right, guys, good times. Well, before we start, okay, I have a quick question for you guys. We're going to get into this later, not today, a different time. But I want to tally you guys so I know what box to put you in before I talk to you about this another time. Who would consider themselves a plotter on the panel? I do. Two plotters. Three plotters. What about okay. you, R.A.? Eh, I would consider myself a strong hybrid. All right. I just want that in the back of my mind because I'm going to ask you guys about that a different time. And it popped in my head now. So in any event, since we're all here and we're all whole and we're having a wonderful experience together, maybe we should get into the negative. Negative. So in any event. Not going to happen today. Oh, oh well, I'm, I'm barely here. My computer is not. So listen, we have to have like signs. Like you ever watch people land an aircraft and they're like this and they're like this. <laughs> I need you to hit me with one of these. Big old X. <laughs> if it ain't happening, just. <laughs> it, yeah, we do not have sound effects today. Exactly. All right. Before we start, I'm going to go off topic a little bit here because two things happen that I think you guys can help with a little bit. I've been seeing some hubbub in the groups lately, the last couple of days, about massive amounts of returns through Ingram Spark. Did you guys see that or catch wind of that at all? I think Pam Kelly had a thousand returns on Ingram Spark. It sparked an interesting discussion about whether you should have returns checked or not when you distribute through Ingram Spark. And that's something I'm not familiar with because I don't use them. Can you guys get into that a little bit for me? I know it wasn't on the sheet, but I just kind of read it and I was interested in it. You guys know anything about that? Like, how does Ingram Spark work with returns? I'm pretty sure when you publish on Ingram Spark, you can select whether or not you want to allow people to return the books. And there's some toggles that go with either one. And so I think the author community was saying, don't allow that. That's all I know about it. Okay, so it's a carryover from traditional publishing, which you have the option of allowing the purchaser, which is usually a book distributor, or in this case, Ingram distribution, so direct to Barnes and Noble, you know, online stuff. You have the option to allow them to return the books or to destroy the books if the book buyer doesn't want them, which is a ridiculous thing, but that's the way it's always worked. 
if they destroy them, they'll rip the cover off and trash it and you won't cost you anything. If they return them, not only will you not get paid for those books, but you have to pay for shipping for the returns. So that's how authors are getting hosed. They're saying yes on returns. And then these booksellers will buy like a thousand copies of their book. The author will get paid on the regular schedule that Ingram has, that 50, 55% discount down to 35 or whatever it is discount that they've chosen. But then if any time in the future, that bookseller decides they don't think they can sell the books, they can return those and the author will pay shipping and the shipping is not cheap. I've been hearing a little bit about that on Twitter and that's kind of the, I don't know, the game. <laughs> it's pretty stupid. It's pretty ridiculous. It's basically just an antiquated policy, but that's the way it works. So some authors are opting to not allow returns or to destroy them, in which case I think most buyers wouldn't buy the book because it's not the terms they're used to. Mm. So I was trying to think of what the benefit to the author would be to allow returns. And so you're saying essentially it's what people are conditioned to. Like yeah. So this is, again, traditional establishment here. So, you know, not necessarily your mom and pop bookshops, but in some sense, it's pretty much anyone selling physical print copies. What they expect is to have an industry standard discount of 55%. So they get your book about half price and to be able to return the book whenever they want and the author pays for it. So that's the issue. If you don't allow returns, then no one's going to buy the book. Now, when I say no one, I don't mean individuals buying the book on Amazon. I'm talking about a bookshop. They're mm -hmm. going to want the industry standard terms, and those are 55% discount and allow returns. Mm -hmm. So it kind of sucks because it's like you're you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, most of the time. Now, I've got a bunch of books on Ingram Spark and Lightning Source, actually, their parent company, and I've checked the box for both of those things. But you know, unless somebody decides to get really overzealous or clever, there's a very small chance some bookshop is going to buy a thousand copies of my book and then return them. Mm. They're going to usually buy a few copies at a time if they want to stock them, you know? Okay. Well, thank you. that's interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. That was a crazy thread that I was reading yesterday and I didn't know cause I don't do Ingram. So I didn't know what I was missing on that, but that's uh sucks for her. Cause she's losing a chunk of money over that. Although I guess it wasn't really yours if it didn't. So I don't know, whatever. All right. First story, let's get back on track here so I can say things that make sense. This comes from D-N-Y-U-Z, Dinas, Dinas.com, <laughs> the news, I don't know. But the headline is millions of followers for book sales. It's, quote, unreliable. And uh, it looks like uh, this is kind of predicated on Billie Eilish. It says she's got... 97 million followers on Instagram and another 6 million on Twitter. If just a fraction of them bought her book, it would be a hit. But her self-titled book has sold about 64,000 hardcover copies since it came out in May and says it's not a bad number unless you got a big advance and she got over a million dollars as an advance. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing that we're looking at here. And I think it kind of plays into what we're always saying that social media doesn't necessarily equate to how many books you're going to sell. What do you guys think about Billie Eilish getting a million dollar advance? I don't think her demographic can read. So that's probably why. Sorry, I just had to. All right, I'm done. <laughs> They're in middle school, Nick, not four years old. <laughs> right, exactly my point. So they can't read. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Okay. I don't know who this Billy eyelash person is, but I just got to say, I don't think her. <laughs> okay. Let's go down a little further. Let's look at some more things. The point I'm trying to get at is our info to people 
is generally, well, I know we have traditionally said, you know, you don't have to necessarily worry that much about social media. The people on social media aren't necessarily book buyers. So maybe spend your time elsewhere. And so they go on to show other things. Justin Timberlake, a million dollar book advance. And when it came out, he's got 53 million Instagram followers and he sold about 100,000 copies. And it gets worse and worse. Let's see. Ilhan Omar has sold 26,000 copies with 3 million followers on Twitter Spear. <laughs> Leaves us with Piers Morgan with 8 million Twitter followers and 5,600 books he sold since it came out a year ago good grief um i actually so i linked and hopefully we can put this in the show notes my first interaction with this post because it spawned a whole bunch of response posts mm -hmm. was from jane friedman's blog and the basic idea was well yeah if they thought that just getting someone with a lot of followers was going to magically sell a book of course it's not going to work mm. there don't seem to have been coordinated campaigns for any of this and so they needed, they talk about things like for publishers, one of the more successful ones is talking about how they always sit down with the author first, especially if it's someone from a different industry to discuss what to do for a marketing campaign, because a lot of people don't want to plug the book because it feels disingenuous or spit out, you know, hokey marketing posts. Mm. So they get them on board early and have, you know, a year long drip campaign going. Um, but yeah, it definitely sounds like, especially with the $1 million advance, they were just like, well, yeah, we've slapped Billie Eilish's face on pretty much everything at this point. So this should be gold. Like they were advertising like an Amazon, those Amazon home Alexa things with Billie Eilish's face on it mm -hmm. for a while. It's like, that's <laughs> right. a very odd, like, I don't know who that's being marketed to, but yeah, I mean, good for her. Kind of. I mean, you know, I hope she doesn't have plans to become a career author because I highly doubt she knows anything about indie publishing. So to her, the only way to get published is to get published. And she's kind of, well, her publisher's kind of shot her in the foot now, you know, right? Yeah. So she's got that unofficial, you know, totally doesn't exist, but definitely exists, wink, wink, black mark on her record that if she goes to another publisher, they're going to be like, well, you didn't earn out your advance. It doesn't matter about the amount, right? Yeah, you not your advance, so therefore she's not gonna get another deal. I don't know. This kind of sucks. Yeah, good for her for getting a million bucks, but mm. I don't know. Yeah, I think well, I want to kind of talk about the Jane Friedman article, but I want to take some time to read it, so I may chat about that later. But it kind of reminds me of you ever watch Shark Tank and people go on Shark Tank and they're like, "All right, so what's your plan to sell this?" And they're like, "Well, we have a hundred thousand people, and if only one percent, and they're like, that's not a plan." Like, it's not a plan just because you have a lot of people to assume that a tiny percent of them are just going to buy it because. And I think that's kind of what it is. Like, they just assume that, you know, they're 60 million people follower. They're just going to go for it. I think to Pippa and Jane Freeman's point, you kind of need something that makes sense driving Actual. that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Like, I think we all we're, we're all familiar with Kevin Kelly's article. He's the guy that started Wired magazine. Um, the 1000 true fans. People talk about that mm, a lot. Yeah. The idea that if you have 1,000 true fans, and he defines true fan as somebody who will buy, I think, anything you release, if you can find 1,000 of those people, you can build a career on that. Now, I think there's probably some caveats here where I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm putting words in his mouth, but I'm pretty sure Kelly was talking about whatever you make in the genre or market or, you know, whatever that you will want to build a career in. Meaning, in Billie Eilish's case, it's music. I almost can guarantee that if she released 
a jazz standards album, there's more than a thousand people, probably a million people who would buy it no matter what, because it's Billie Eilish and it's music. But this is so different. It's a completely different market, completely different field for her. She doesn't have a thousand true fans in it. You know, so I think there's some, something to be said about that. Like marketers, you know, these traditional publishers who don't really understand that, it seems like, are just in a race to spend more money. You know, that's what they think marketing is. Let's put her face on an on Amazon. I'm like, what? That doesn't, that's not, sense. That doesn't do anything. And it definitely could have grabbed a certain number of her readers, right? Like if there's 53 million or whatever it was, absolutely she could have worked with that. Like mm-hmm. hear more about the impetus behind my songs. Hear more. Like an even semi-competent campaign, I feel like, could have done more with this. And I actually think it may not be as much of a black mark because there may be some up and coming marketer at a different publisher who's going to be like, yeah, but we could do this. Could totally do this. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. Well, all right. Hey, Billie Eilish, if you need help selling books, uh, just let us know. You know, just email us. We'll help you out. Don't worry. For a very small cut. All right. You know, I'm going to skip story two, guys, because that's kind of, I think, involved unless one of you guys wanted to get into it it's kind of involved with the social media thing but we'll post it it's a chuck wendig article about does social media sell books and you know we're kind of chatting about that so i don't think we need to dig into that anymore but we will go to story number three and it's about publishers weekly and that's by lynn hightower and that says guess what's better than a book blurb and the gist of this story is she asked uh, her old professor for a blurb for a book Uh, he said no but he gave her a life lesson or whatever, you know? So my question is, <laughs> you Sounds win some, like paying you, an exposure. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much what he says. I don't do blurbs, but you're an amazing student. I was like, well, all right. So I guess this is my question for you guys. Do you guys pay attention to blurbs and do you bother trying to get blurbs from big authors or peers or whatever for your books? Do you think it's worth the hassle? Jim, what do you think about this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we should be clear that we're talking about, we're not talking about book descriptions. We're talking about quotes from authors that go on the front or the back or somewhere in your book description sometimes. I think that a book blurb is kind of like entering a contest for authors that, you know, it's probably not if you get a book blurb from a huge name or like if you win a big contest. And it's a big deal, but mostly it's just kind of a waste of time. Um, I put out a nonfiction book a few years ago, and I got some blurbs from people that I thought were kind of big in the industry. And did it help me sell books? Maybe. I don't know. The main thing that matters when you're trying to blurb a book is, will my readers recognize the name of this person and respect it? Because if they don't, then it's not worth the time. This is definitely why no one ever asks me for blurbs. <laughs> Nick, what about you, man? Do you give blurbs? Do you try to get blurbs? What's your feeling on the situation? Yeah, I do give blurbs. My name doesn't really do anything for anyone else, so I wouldn't recommend asking me for one necessarily. But it's nice to have a couple blurbs that you can just toss up on some marketing material so that they're not Amazon reviews. I've used those as well, like customer reviews say this book is great, but it's nice to have a blurb from another author, you know, just kind of old school, again, traditional marketing style. I have a blurb from Steve Barry, the Steve Barry, like not like another kind of Barry. And it's a pretty good blurb. So I just slap it up wherever I can, wherever blurbs are accepted, particularly on the book cover that he blurbed. So, you know, it's cool. I think of it a lot like a vanity play, you know, it's fun. You kind of get your stripes, you earn your letters, you get a big name blurb like that. It's 
probably not going to sell you any books, but it's fun. So yeah, I think it's something uh, if you're a new author thinking about it, or even an author that is established and wants to do it, go for it. I mean, reach out to some people, see if you know someone who knows someone and get those blurbs and collect them and feel good about yourself. But don't spend time and certainly don't spend money chasing this stuff down. I mean, in fact, I should double down on that because I don't know any service that I would ever pay money for a blurb. I wouldn't even pay for like a review, like a Kirkus review. I think it's kind of BS. So I wouldn't do it for a blurb either. Interesting. Pippa, you blurbing it up or what? I'm seeing about doing some for my next series, but honestly, all this discussion is doing is making me very, very curious to see how much stock people put in the because we all know the format, right? You've got the Times New Roman thing and then the italicized name. Mm-hmm. And to figure out how powerful that is for people just to be like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, they got someone who is worth italicizing and on a cover to blurb this thing. It's like having the paperback up in the Amazon store. You're like, oh, okay, this is legit. Right. right. This is a real <laughs> right. book. It doesn't actually sell any paperbacks. It just makes you look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've never gotten any. I've never given any. I've never really done any of that. I asked two authors that were way out of my league for it, and they both kindly told me to kick rocks. And that's about it. So I don't know. I'm going to keep trying, though. You know what, Nick? You've inspired me. I'm going to try to get these blurbs, man. I'm going to email them back and go, no, you're going to give it to me. (laughs) And they'll call the cops. Yeah, I think it's worth a couple emails here and there or whatever and reach out to people you know. But again, it's sort of like getting on the USA Today bestseller list or something. It's fun to do. I don't know that it's certainly not going to be a boon for your career, but make you feel better about yourself, I guess. Unless you get a blurb that's like, this book sucks. I can't believe this guy wrote this drivel. In which case, I would absolutely slap that on my cover and see if a hundred percent, dude. I would just 100%. see if any reader reaches out and, hey, did you know this? Could you imagine cover? if it was like Lee Child <laughs> says, Ari McGee is garbage, dude? I'd put that everywhere. <laughs> It'd be amazing. It would be worse just throwing up there with like a couple hundred dollars in Facebook advertising. Just be like, are you curious enough to click? I'm serious. Yeah. I'd be like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Walter Mosley. Lee Child hated my book. Click here to find out why. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right on. All right. Good stuff, guys. So let's see. The next story that I want to get into, it's not really a story. It's more of a question. I don't really understand. Maybe this whole article, it's just not for me, but said why don't books have a credits page? So I guess the first thing we should get into is what they are considering a credits page. It seems to go a little bit past acknowledgements, right? Like, hey, shout out to my editor, shout out to this person, whatever. Credits page that they show has the art and designers, the person who did the contracts, the editor, the managing editor, the marketing, the salespeople, school and library marketing promotion, multiple publicity production managers like there's a lot of people on the credits page in the back of this book so how much of that do you guys put into your book do you go beyond acknowledgments and do you think that we should be plastering pages with everyone in the world who works on this although maybe we're indie so we don't have quite as big of a retinue but i don't know i don't know nick or what's your credit situation looking like Yeah, all those things you just mentioned, I was like, well, I mean, I kind of do all those myself, so I'm not sure. (laughs) And my name's Uh, in the front. (laughs) (laughs) My name's already on it a couple times, so I don't really think I would like to see a credits page that's just all you. (laughs) That's what I was just going to say. What I ought to do is be like, you know what? These contracts were written up by me. You know what? I I edited this thing. (laughs) Sorry, Jim. 
I'd like to thank me for all my hard work. Exactly. Uh, Fast me. I think books don't come with a credits page for the same reason that compact discs don't come with 3D glasses. It's a different medium. Mm. And I like to do fun stuff in my afterward. I do weird stuff with my formatting. I put my copyright page, my dedication at the back of the book. Um, that's mostly because I don't want to take up space in the look inside. But like yeah. anything I can, I move to the back of the book. Also with the dedication, I figure they're not going to care who I dedicated the book to unless they read it all. And it's like a treat. You read it, you get to find out who the dedication is for. And I put fun stuff in the afterward. Like I usually include a couple paragraphs about the writing of the book or trivia. Like, did you know this character was named after a dog I used to have? Or just stuff like that. That's like a little treat for my completionist readers. You know, the ones who 100% my book get to get those little tidbits at the end. Or they could just skip to the end, I guess, actually. So my plan is not as rock solid as I thought. <laughs> Hey, if they've bought it, they've bought it. <laughs> <laughs> What's weird, I think, to me is that if I hadn't read the article and known that the author requested it, I would have assumed that this was the desperate attempt of a traditional publisher to justify how little the author gets in the way of royalties. <laughs> like, that would have been my gut assumption when I opened this up to be like, oh, okay. I see. <laughs> Look how many more people are responsible for your success. It's like every time around when like budgets come up, there's this one police department where my parents used to live where all of a sudden there'd be like, a fender bender and eight police cars would show up and they'd be like, see, we are all doing a thing. You're like, oh, mm. <laughs> but yeah. 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 I don't know. That's weird, man. I feel like if you want your name in a book that bad, you maybe should write a book, you know, credit person, publicity person, like whatever. I know it's nice that the author wanted to share the love, but I'm not, that's weird to me. And you know what else is weird? It actually reminds me of something. I heard there were a couple of editors. I don't know if you guys heard this, but, they used to like strongly suggest to their writers that they put them on the book with them. You know how like you can add like contributors and like they'll pop up on the Amazon page and like the little highlight. Sometimes there's editors in there and there was editors that were having, if you work with me, you got to put my name in there like that. I thought that was the most bizarre thing. Very weird. When I see that again, I'll forward it to you guys. It was weird. It makes me think of this, but. All right, last story. Let's not break our brains here, although it may be difficult. Merriam-Webster is giving us a great big list of beautiful and useless words, volume one. So there's a lot of these words. Do any of these look interesting to you? And if it does, you have the task of trying to pronounce it. Mm. I'm definitely going to start using gentacular in my everyday language. <laughs> what is that? Gentacular is means pertaining to breakfast. So I would say, you know, I must complete my gentacular duties before I sit down to work. Legit. I actually already um, use BTs. on the list. Which one? Cacography? It, they're right. It is very evocative. <laughs> Cacography? Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I could describe a character, the next one, Asersecomiki, one whose hair was never cut. That's very weird. There's just some Can weird Can you just words. say Rapunzel? I actually mm. already use Batiz. Because what? Where I, is that? What is that? It's like maybe a third of the way down. And it's, well, in French, it's actually used for a child who is doing something that is naughty, but on the level of like kids going to be kids. 
mm-hmm. sort of naughty. So it's like, it's not a thing that you would have a punishment for. It's just like, oh, I see. Are you doing a batise? Mm, okay. Huh. Um, These are weird. Mock, make bait, macabre, M-A-K. Yeah. E-B-A-T-E. One that excites contention and quarrels. Make a bait. Mock a bait. Also like uh, Agatha Cockological. Like <laughs> it's composed of both good and evil. I love that the picture for it is action figures from Star Wars facing off. Well, I think this one is probably the biggest thing that we could use in our country right now. And it's Empleomania, mm-hmm. which is Uh-oh. a mania for holding public office. Mm. Uh, both sides. Place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Both sides, degree of usefulness, both sides of the aisle agree, useful. So I think that there's a little too much empleomania going on in our world. So in any event, all right, guys, looks like we're coming up to a good time here. Do you guys got uh, anything you want to add to this uh, rollicking conversation? No. All right. Seeing as there's nothing for all of us at A&W, I am Ari McGee saying this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody.